0: So everyone has an understanding of what it means to be a child of God. Um, But I I think after this, you're going to see a lot that you've never noticed before. And we're in this series all about identity. Um, And I think a lot of believers fundamentally misunderstand who they are in Christ. And so everyone is living out, you know, their lifestyle is the result of who they think they are. Everyone's living out from their perceived uh, identity. Meaning, who you are in Christ is different than who we think we are. I don't always see myself clearly the way God does. That's perceived, you know, perceived identity, who I think I am, how I see myself. But actual reality or actual identity is who God says I am and who he says, you know, in his word that I am in his son. And so everyone has a certain view of themselves. I said this in the last episode. If you didn't watch that, go watch the first episode in this series all about our identity in Christ. And so every one of us measures our self-worth by certain metrics. Um, We draw a sense of identity from certain things in in, in this life. And so everyone has a perceived identity, who they think they are. Um, And throughout our lives, what we do is we latch on to certain things that we allow or we think determine our value and our identity. And so right now, the way that you see yourself is a conglomeration of all the different things throughout your life that you've given permission to define you and determine your value. When, when in fact, nothing else gets to determine our value and our identity except God alone because he's the creator. He's the only one that has the authority and the permission from himself to decide you know, who we are and what, how much value we have. And so... If you have a wrong identity or a wrong idea of who you think you are, a wrong perceived identity, what happens is you live according to a false perception of who you are. And since everyone is living from this place of who they think they are and lifestyle flows from perceived identity, if you don't know who you are, you end up living a lie. You end up making decisions that aren't rooted in truth and at worst, you end up wasting your life living like someone that you're not. And there's a lot of believers who like, they hear, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God, but there's so much baggage from their childhood. There's so much throughout their life that they've latched onto to give them value that when they hear, I'm a child of God, they don't even know what that means. And they have a hard time believing that. And they'll tell you on a Sunday morning, I'm a child of God. I'm blessed and highly favored. You know, I'm, I'm, I belong to the Lord God Almighty, but they, they don't really know what that looks like. And so you might think it's not a big deal to know who we are, to know who God says we are. But if you don't know who you are, you won't know how to live. And there's a lot of believers who are living in identity crisis most of their lives because, you know, they've been taught certain things about uh, identity that are wrong, or they've, you know, they have yet to come out of that false understanding of who they are and into the truth of who God says they are. And so what we're going to talk about today is what it means to be children of God. And in the last you know, episode, we talked about how, how we can be children of God. What it means, look at I'm exposed. You can see that I'm sitting down on my special chair. <laughs> I'm going to call it my special chair. Um, we talked about what it means that Jesus has made way for us to be children of God. Jesus has accomplished what we could never do for ourselves so we can be what we are in Christ. We talked about the logistics behind that and, and how the cross almost becomes this way into, or the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus becomes this way into a new status and a new identity and a new standing with the Father, right? Now we get to talk about what does it mean to be a child of God. And I brought this up last time, but I want to bring it to your attention again. I'm going to expose myself, not just showing you how I'm sitting and how lame I look. I look feel like I'm in a hospital right now. Uh, But I want to show you my notes because this is important. I want you to see this, okay? What it means for Jesus to be the firstborn or the only begotten son is this. He has sonship and inheritance ultimately. As the ultimate heir, as the ultimate and only true beloved son of God, he extends to us that same identity. Not as God at all, but as the first, you know, of new humanity, as the first of the family of God, he extends to us that. Um, What it means for Jesus to be the only begotten Son, it, it, it includes resurrection. It includes the high priestly service, him mediating a new covenant. It includes him having kingship, a throne, a kingdom. It includes him having supremacy, and his name being supreme above all. It includes, it involves Jesus being glorified, higher than all spiritual beings and conquering all the enemies. And if you don't know where this is coming from, go watch our last series where we talked about uh, Jesus and who scripture reveals him to be. And if you don't see Jesus rightly, you won't see yourself rightly because your identity is in him. So in order to see ourselves clearest, we need to know him better, right? And so as we know him better, we'll see ourselves better. And we'll understand who we really are not who we think we are we won't have a false perception of who we are we'll have a a view of ourselves that's rooted in truth and so go watch that last series if you haven't already seen it it's called the only begotten son or the divine son of god and we, we explore what it means that jesus is god in the flesh what it means that he's the first resurrected humanity what it means that he's the only begotten and the firstborn of the dead we talked about all this but when you trace that theme out in scripture All these ideas are related, especially in Hebrews, especially in Hebrews. Hebrews is giving us a clear picture of who Jesus is in the most consolidated way. Because Hebrews is convincing the Jewish people, don't go back to what isn't going to profit you eternally. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the old covenant way of relating to God without Jesus. And so when you talk about Jesus being the only begotten son or the firstborn of the dead, all these different elements are, are play into that. This is, it's almost like the mosaic of Jesus being the only begotten son is formed by all these different pieces. If the camera's shaking, it's because I'm talking really loud and my foot's like shaking the desk that the camera's on. So you'll have to deal with it. But here's how it translates to us. Uh, Jesus being, you know, the only begotten son means he's the firstborn heir of the world in his humanity. He's the first of new resurrected humanity. He's the perfect high priest mediating a new covenant. He's the true king of the world in his resurrected human nature. He's the supreme name that saves and grants forgiveness and, and demands worship. He's the glorified one above all spiritual beings and the victorious conqueror of the enemies of humanity and God. Whether that be sin, whether that be death, whether that be, you know, all the different, you know, powers of darkness and whatever hierarchy that is, okay, okay. Jesus has conquered. And so what I want you to understand is if we are in Christ, then all of these different facets of Jesus being the only begotten son, they actually affect us. They actually translate over to us. And so what I'm going to show you today is what it means to be a child of God includes all of these different elements, includes resurrection, includes being a priesthood, includes reigning with Christ, includes being in the name of God. It includes, you know, being glorified with Christ and conquering the enemies of God so that now the identity of Jesus as the first, as the only begotten Son, as the first of resurrected humanity, he extends that to anyone who takes refuge in him. And if you see him clearer, you'll see yourself clearer you'll walk in victory, you'll walk in holiness, you'll walk in truth, and your lifestyle, I promise, your lifestyle is the overflow of who you are. But how you live can also be affected by who you think you are. So I can be a child of God and still not live like a child of God because I don't even understand what that looks like, or I have trouble believing that, right? Or I don't yet know what that looks like practically. Okay, so let me show you in, we're going to go to all kinds of scriptures today, boys and girls, so buckle up. We're going to go to Galatians chapter four, verse verse four. I want to take you there first. I just want to establish that, yes, we are children of God, okay? What does that mean? And I think looking at a few passages of scripture will bring clarity to what it means to be a child of God. We'll be able to understand what it means that we get to partake in the resurrection and the glorification of Christ. All these different like elements, they're jam-packed into this beautiful status called a child of God. So when God says you're a child, all these different things become true of you. All these different things become yours in Christ. The problem is the church doesn't really unpack it and doesn't really know what this looks like. And we don't know how to walk in it. So Galatians 4, starting in verse 4, I thought I'd be a little more tame sitting down. Quite the opposite. It says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Right? Not just any son, not just any one of humanity, not just a generic human, but the eternal word emanating from the Father put on flesh. God sent forth His Son into the world at the right time. And He's born of woman, He's under the law, right? Because that's what we were locked under, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son. So watch this. Sonship or being a child of God is inextricably connected to having the spirit of Jesus. In other words, you've been given the spirit of sonship. Okay, okay. So you don't just have an identity, you don't just have a status, you have the spirit of sonship, the very spirit of Jesus being the only begotten Son. He gives you his spirit. He gives you his status and his position in the sight of the Father, right? And all this is built on his life, death, and resurrection. And so he sends his spirit into our hearts, which is different from our spirit, right? We have the Spirit of God filling us, but I also have a Spirit that's been raised to life in Christ. And I choose to submit that Spirit to the leading of the Holy Spirit or the leading of the flesh. So the Spirit of God within us cries out, Abba, Father. And here's, look at the conclusion, okay? Look at the conclusion. So, in other words, the result or the conclusion is this. You are no longer a slave. Why? Because he sent who? His son. So that what? John 14 and 15. So that he could send the spirit of his son into anyone who would take refuge in that only begotten son. So you start to see layers to this. It's first God sends his son before he can send his spirit to abide in humanity, in new humanity. First Jesus has to make way for that. So the son is the first and ultimate gift. Then God sends the Spirit of His Son, which is our very sonship. And He testifies of our adoption. He testifies, Romans chapter 8, there were children of God. And now you're not a slave anymore because of the fact that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of His Son, dwells in your hearts. In other words, slavery is not compatible with having the Spirit of God dwelling in you, it's not possible. The the very fact that the Spirit of God dwells within you indicates a brand new reality, a brand new mode of existence. It's a brand new way of relating to God and living life. And slavery is not compatible with sonship. It's not compatible with the Spirit of God living in us. So this is what you have to understand is your identity is built on Jesus's life, death, and resurrection? Your identity is rooted in who He is. It's based on who He is, but the Spirit of God dwelling within you is part of that. It's a huge thing. Thank you for the gift. Choose to shine. It's a huge element to our identity. Is the Spirit of God testifies to what Christ Jesus has done and what the Father says we are? So you're not a slave. You're a son. And First John touches on this theme so much is that sonship, walking in sonship, walking in the light is so closely re- connected to the spirit that you can't have those things without the spirit abiding in you. So we're not s- slaves anymore to sin. We're not slaves to the law. That's the language Romans and Galatians uses. So I'm, I'm fine using that. You're no longer a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. And if you're a son or a daughter... Look at the conclusion. You're an heir. So the first thing that we saw was what? That Jesus is the rightful, especially in Hebrews 1, he's the rightful heir or inheritor of all that the Father has to give. Just like Adam and Eve were kind of given this beautiful gift and world and reigning and ruling and cultivating, they just kind of walked into everything God prepared for them, right? Right? But then they forfeited that in the garden, the, the right to rule, the authority, all that. They forfeited it to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. So what Jesus does is he wins back by dying our death, by paying our, our debt, he wins back our ability to be heirs of God in the world. And so it's not just your children, it's, it's no, 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 like you and I get to inherit Everything that Jesus rightfully owns. It's as if, as because that's what it means to be a co-heir. Jesus doesn't go, you know, I'm kind of the eternal word emanating from the Father, so you only get a portion of the inheritance. As the ultimate firstborn, he gives you full access. Everything that's his. As the first of resurrected humanity. As the first of new creation. Everything that's his. He says it's rightfully yours because he paid for it and he wants to share his inheritance with us. So when Galatians says, you're an heir through God, this goes past just just being in his family where God goes, you know what, you can have my name, you can be in my house, but you don't get my stuff. This is Jesus giving everything that he rightfully owns. And he goes, here, and you and I go, why would you ever do this? And he would go, because it magnifies my grace. Because it magnifies the mercy and the grace of God. Because it glorifies his name. This is what the Father, this is the Father's good pleasure. Where does it say, um, I think Jesus says this. He says, children, it, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom or somewhere in the New Testament. But he says, it's not even like God's like, dang it, I don't even want it. This is God saying, I so desire to give you my kingdom, to give you what my son has. People don't want it. People don't want it. And so Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, it says this, um, in love, he being God, he predestined, he predestined us. Now, you can get into some weird, wonky theology, but I just want you to see adoption is what children, is what those who have faith in Jesus are predestined for. So if you have faith in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, and your righteousness is in him, you know, you trust in him alone, well, you're predestined for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In other words, Being a child of God is the will of the Father. He desires for lost enemies of His, image bearers who are wandering across the planet, He desires for them to be in relationship with Him. It's His will to reconcile them back to Him. But that only happens through Jesus. So sonship is based on Jesus. It's what God has determined ahead of time will happen to those who trust in the Son. Romans chapter 8, same ideas playing out here, okay? I want you to see this. And, And remember, this is just, remember, Jesus is the rightful heir, and then he invites us to come and have that status alongside him. So sonship, or being a daughter of God, equals being an heir, The two are inextricably connected. All who are led by the Spirit of God. Now, what you're going to see here, again, is this connection between adoption and the Spirit. I want you to see it. Just think about the connection between the Spirit of God and our adoption and us being children. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or daughters of God. So if you want to be a child of God, right, or to be a child of God, is going to look like being led by the Spirit of God. There's a kind of lifestyle that's fitted or compatible or reasonable for children of God. Because I had a conversation with a brother, I don't know if Joshua's here, but we had a good conversation about like, this almost sounds like, and I I apologize if in the first episode I didn't clarify, I might have made it sound like, hey, your identity has, you know, um, is not going to, have any bearing on your lifestyle. And that's not what I, I meant to say. What I meant to say was your lifestyle doesn't determine your identity. Instead, it's the opposite. God changes your identity so that as a result, your life starts to change. And apparently, those who are children of God will be led by the Spirit. This is not a perfect life. This is just a hey, in general, right? The majority of your life. The Spirit of God is leading. If the Spirit of God never leaves you because, or never like leads your life because He doesn't dwell in you, then you can't be a child of God. In other words, to have the indwelling of the Spirit is to inevitably see some kind of change in your life. That's the point here. He says, You didn't receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So here again, is slavery contrasted with sonship, just like in Galatians chapter four? So we see two elements present that we saw in Galatians four, right? We saw the Spirit of God connected to adoption. And now we're seeing the second theme, which is slavery is contrasted with sonship. There are so many believers who are genuinely in Christ and they're actually children of God, but they still give in to that mentality of slavery. Slavery to addiction, slavery to sin, slavery to condemnation, slavery to works-based righteousness, slavery to whatever it is, the world. And they still find themselves thinking and living like a slave when they're actually, the, the prison door is swung wide open. In fact, the the walls of the prison have been torn down by Jesus and you're free. And people are living like slaves even though they have the spirit of adoption. And it's a bummer. The spirit of adoption as sons, right? We've, we've received the spirit of adoption. By whom? In other words, right here, we're crying out, Abba, Father. But we're crying out, Abba, Father, by the spirit of G- Jesus within us. In other words, this is not just you saying, I'm a child of God. This is the spirit of God within you also being a witness. So now you have two witnesses you have the Father saying, you are mine, right? You have you going, I-, I believe I'm yours, right? But the lifestyle becomes a third witness, you might say. There, the life has to be a witness to your sonship. The spirit, or, or you might say the life eventually has to be a witness to the fact that the Spirit of God does dwell in you. There will be some inevitable transformation. It doesn't seem like you can escape that. So we cry out, Abba, Father, just like we saw in Galatians 4, um where was it? Right here. Um but in Galatians 4, guess who's crying out Abba Father? It's actually the spirit of Jesus crying out Abba Father. So so far, we see those same three three ideas in uh what is it? Romans chapter 8. Same three ideas, slavery contrasted with sonship, right? the Spirit of God being a part of our sonship, and then the Spirit of God or this this crying out, Abba, Father. But in Romans 8, it's not the Spirit of God crying out, Abba, Father. It's us by the Spirit or through the Spirit. We're calling God our Father by what the Spirit of God testifies. So the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Remember how I said you have your own spirit that's been resurrected or raised from the dead? Your spirit used to be dead because you were disconnected from the Father. Now that you've been connected to the one who is life, your spirit can come alive again. And the Spirit of God is the one who actually, you know, um, causes that effectual work to happen within you. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. So in other words, to be a child of God is to have witness. You witness to it yourself. Your life witnesses. The Spirit witnesses through your life, through your own, you know, I I believe I'm a child of God. The Father witnesses to that. And if we're children, then heirs. So there's another idea we saw in Galatians 4, which is that to be a child of God is to be an heir of God as your father. Where he goes, everything I have is yours, and you go. This doesn't make any sense. And he goes, exactly. My son made way for it, and we are fellow heirs with Christ. It's crazy. Like it's so crazy. You and I could have never. Humanity on their own could have never. You know. Uh, should I do this? Okay, I'll do it. Sorry, it's gonna squeak a little bit. Humanity all collectively with all the minds and all the wisdom we have could have never come up with this plan. We never could have come up with it. This is beyond our ability to ask. This is beyond our ability to even think. And so what I want you to see here is we're heirs of God because of the fact. You're not just some generic heir of God where he's like, let me just shove you into the sheepfold. It's because you're in Christ because you are rooted in him, now with him, you're a fellow heir. In other words, I I want you to really think about this statement. This is not blasphemy. This is not reaching. To the degree that Jesus inherits what the Father has, we also inherit to that same degree. And this doesn't magnify us. This doesn't exalt us. This doesn't inflate your ego, because it's all a gift of his grace. It's not because we are worth it. It's not because I earned it or deserve it. It's because Jesus has graciously made way for us to have this. Then it goes on, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So watch. There's three lifestyle or you might say three events that are inevitable when it comes to being a child of God. In other words, if you're a child of God, three things will happen. Number one, you will be led by the Spirit of God at some point. Number two, let me make this four points. Number two, you will inherit everything that Jesus is going to inherit from the Father. Number three, you're going to suffer to some degree. The road to glorification is going to be paved with a degree of suffering. Number four, you're going to be glorified. In other words, suffering is not the end. Suffering is just, think of the Psalm 23. Even though you, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. So what the good shepherd does is he brings us through the valley of the shadow. It looks like death. I'm surrounded by what appears to be death. There's suffering. But on the other side of this life, God promises you will be glorified with my son. And we don't want to talk about children. We think children of God, being a child of God means God will not allow me to go through any suffering. It's actually quite the opposite. It's because you're children, right? Just like every other human on the planet, you're going to experience a degree of suffering. But what's different about you and I is that it actually plays into our sanctification. It, it, It plays to our benefit. It actually, in the end becomes a benefit to our faith, to our maturity, to our, you know, ability to live for Christ, to all, God adds to us through the suffering that he brings us through. He works that out for our good as we're transformed. That promise is not available to anyone else except children of God. So yes, we're suffering just like the rest of the world, but we have a promise on the other side of it and we have a promise in the middle of it. That he's working good in the middle of it, and on the other side, I'll be glorified. Unbelievers don't have that. Unbelievers don't have that. So, I know you might have been taught that. Well, God loves me, so he'll he'll um, you know keep me away from any kind of suffering. It's actually that God wants to train and correct and discipline lovingly you and I out of immaturity out of darkness, out of sin, to be more like his son. So when you, if you go back a little, or go forward a little bit in Romans 8, he'll talk about how God works all things together for our good. You have to define what good is, though. You know what good is? It's being conformed to the image of his son. So watch this. If you spend your whole life walking around going, I'm a child of God. He's going to spare me from all turmoil, all distress, all suffering. Praise the Father. I'm not going to have to walk through any difficulty, any suffering. Ah, praise you, Lord. If you live like that, you're in for a rude awakening. Because God's priority for you is not convenience. God's priority for you is not temporary comfort in this world. God's priority for you And what is best for you, like honestly, what is most fulfilling and satisfying and most helpful to the rest of humanity is that you and I would become more like his son. When you learn to qualify and define good like that, then you can learn to evaluate what you're going through and what's coming toward you through a different lens. So now I'm not seeing a trial as, ah, this bums me out or this negatively affects me, or this disrupts my comfort and convenience. Now I'm going to qualify trials and suffering as, look, another opportunity to be sharpened and molded into the image of Jesus so that on the other side of this, I'm more satisfied. I'm more fulfilled. I'm more at peace. I'm more like the ultimate resurrected human Jesus, and I'm more of a benefit to humanity because of it. So good is not what benefits me most temporarily in this world. Good is not convenience. Good is not temporary comfort. Good is becoming more like Jesus. In other words, becoming who you're called to be, who you're made to be. That's good. That's good. And you and I are children of God in our, in our status and position. That's who we are. But we don't always live like that. So becoming like Jesus just simply means I'm living more like who he is. Which, you know, if you boil it down, all that means is I'm, be, I'm living more like who I really am. I'm living out the truest version of myself, which is, you know, new humanity in Christ. 1 John 3, verse 1 through 3, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Okay, whatever he's about to say, is going to prove, okay, um, that the Father loves you. So if you, I don't know if God loves me. Okay, just wait. Do you see what kind of love the Father has given? That we should be called children of God. We're not just called that. So we are. Because God has the authority to change our name, to change our identity, He calls you his child, and guess what? So you are. What God says comes into existence. Reality has to shift and adjust according to the word of God. So if he says, hey, you're my child, you become his child. It starts with God loving us enough to call us children of God through faith in his son, and so we are. You and I need to learn how to take God at his word. Because you read this and go, yeah, we're called children of God, but you struggle believing this part. So we are. Because you look at your life and you go, yeah, but all the failures, all the mistakes, I continue with this battle, with this same addiction that I've had since I was 13, I still keep giving in to this sin periodically. I reacted to my mom in a way that, was antichrist like that was unacceptable and so you look at your life and you go i don't know my life doesn't seem to indicate i'm a child of god and i I can't see any evidence that i'm a child of god i'll tell you what there's two options two options either your life is actually witnessing to the fact that you're not a child of god or you're just over focusing on the failures and the mistakes and the and the sin and you're not at all paying attention to the good that God's doing in your life, how you're becoming more like Jesus, how you're being transformed. This is what we do, like, for my own personal, you know, life. I'll use my myself as, as an example. I tend to um, measure holiness and my sanctification by one metric. Purity. uh p- Pride. Let's just take those two. I'll say two metrics, two metrics for my own life. Sometimes I will uh, have tunnel vision on two different sins I struggle with pride, lust, whatever it is. And then I be, let those two things be the only metrics for my transformation in Christ. And so anytime I fail in either of those regards, I'm prideful, I'm lustful, what I'm doing is I'm going, ha. Ah, Maybe I'm not a child of God, or maybe I'm not growing, or maybe I'm not who I said I am. Maybe I don't believe in Jesus because I'm only looking at two different metrics. But if I zoom out a bit, I'll see, whoa, God has actually changed the way I speak to people when I'm frustrated. God has grown my patience. God has grown my desire to benefit people, my compassion, my understanding. I see evidence of Jesus working in me to lead me into prayer, and fellowshipping with God's people, and I love it, and I want to bend it. I see all that, right? If I zoom out, but what we do is we go, I don't know, and and we let like two specific sins in our life speak louder than God, and we let that one addiction you've been struggling with since you were a child we let that speak louder than the word of God. And so when when you give into a certain sin or you struggle seasonally with a certain mentality, you let that overshadow what God says about you. And you choose to believe what your life is saying over what God says in the midst of your broken life. If God says you're a child of God, you are. And I promise there will be witness to that. There's going to be evidence. It's called a changed life. But if you're demanding a perfect life in order for that to be sufficient evidence of your sonship, you're going to you're in for a rude awakening and a very difficult life. Some of us are like, "I'm a child of God as long as I'm living perfect." But the minute there's failure, the minute I make a mistake, I go, "Oh, backtrack maybe i'm a fake maybe i'm matthew chapter 7 the lord lord people where i go lord didn't i and jesus goes i never knew you boy and i go i'm gonna burn and then you start to spiral out of control into this these lies because you over and overemphasized one specific failure in your life should we pursue holiness yes should i let my lifestyle determine my identity no but there should be evidence in your life of being led by the Spirit of God, of, of, of sonship, the Spirit of God changing and transforming you. That's going to bear witness to what you know deep down about what God has spoken over you. He says you're a child of God, and you know that. But sometimes you have a hard time believing it because you're simply looking at, you're qualifying or, or measuring your sonship and holiness by like two different things. When there's a thousand different metrics how you talk how you think your desires your ambitions the way you interact with people what you do when no one's watching your, your quiet time with the father all these different things the reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him now watch beloved we are god's children now we are so i want you to see present tense we are he said that twice We are, we are, but watch, that's the present. Now he's going to bring in the future. We are God's children now, right? What we will be has not yet appeared. So hold on. What I am now is a son or a daughter of God. But he also says, you and I will be something. And that's not yet appeared. And eventually, the world's going to see us as children of God when this appears, what we will be. So there's the what we are now and what we will be in the future. Let me ask you this. Will I be more of a child of God in the future than I am now? It's a question worth asking. In the future, when I'm glorified and resurrected and in in new creation, will I be more of a child of God? Will I be more loved? Will I be more approved and accepted by the Father than I am right in this very moment? If your answer is yes, I, I fundamentally disagree. Because of the fact that he already said we are children of God. Therein lies all your value and all, your, all the approval and love from the Father you need. It's all right there. You're a child of God. You're His beloved. That doesn't improve when you're glorified or resurrected from the dead to new glorified bodies. So what we will be refers to resurrection and glorification. That's why Romans 8, when he talks about being children of God, it will go on to talk about being glorified. It will go on to talk about being resurrected from the dead with Jesus. That is going to happen. That's merely talking about my outward uh, body, not my inward identity. There's a difference. There's a difference. So think of it like this. Right now, I'm a child of God, but I live in this sinful fleshly body, right? Right? So I'm I'm a child of God. That's who I am inwardly, spiritually. That's my identity. But this 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 uh, this human Earth suit that I'm piloting right now, it's not of God. Like in terms of being spiritually aligned with my identity, this is a sinful body. This is sinful flesh. So you know what has to change eventually, is this body. So it matches my inward identity, right? That's what he means when he says what we will be has not yet appeared. You and I are children of God right this very second. The world does not see you in the fullness of what God is going to glorify you in yet. In other words, they don't see your resurrected glorified bodies. They don't see the glory you're going to have that you've inherited from the Father. They don't see that. They will. And we will shine like the sun uh, in righteousness in the kingdom of our Father. That's what Jesus says. We will. But right now, like Paul says, we have this uh, infinitely valuable treasure in earthen vessels. We know when he appears, we shall be like him. So notice the two things that appear here. Our future glorified body, what we will be, has not yet appeared. But when he appears, that's when it will. We shall be like him. Meaning, um you will reach the point where your lifestyle is perfectly conformed to Jesus. You will... That doesn't mean you'll be more of a child of God. Doesn't mean you'll be more... This is why I'm trying to differentiate between lifestyle and identity. Because you guys have conflated the two. Some of you have, have, have conflated how I live is who I am and how valuable I am. That's not true. Your lifestyle is simply going to be the overflow of your identity and your nature. That's why Jesus changes your nature so that your life inevitably changes too. But I don't perfectly live like Christ yet. I don't always talk the way Jesus would. I don't always look at people the way he does. I don't always interact with people the way Christ would. I don't always do that. But one day I will, and I'll be perfectly conformed to his image. And we shall see him as he is, I want to pause. I want to show you something. I have to pee pretty bad. And I I don't really want to get down because it's such a hassle to hobble to the bathroom. So I'm either going to A, pee my pants, or the Spirit of God is going to give me such self-control that I can get this out. Notice the, the, the connection here between seeing Jesus and being like Jesus. I want you to see it. Tingle, tingle, little star. How I pee my pants every day. As he is, one day we're going to see him as he is. Here's the logic, okay? Watch what he does. He goes, one day we will be like him perfectly in our lifestyle. Why? Because, this key word, because we shall see him. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. There is a connection between my uh, my vision of God and my purity of life. There is a connection between those two ideas. Living pure is actually the result of seeing Jesus clearly. One day we're going to see Him fully and perfectly. And like 1 Corinthians 13 speaks of, we're going to know him perfectly. As a result, our lives will be conformed to what we behold. So if you want to live more like Jesus and live more like who you truly are, which is a child of God, you need to behold Jesus more. You need to spend more time seeing him and letting the eyes of your heart behold his glory and his goodness. That's prayer. That's worship. That's time in his word. That's why I created the completely free 40 day Bible study program that I did. You know how much work went into that? Like, I didn't do that because I'm like, oh, i get super rich. It's free. I get nothing out of it. But for you to see Jesus clearer, it is going to require you to learn how to read the scriptures, how to behold him. There's a way to worship and behold the Father. And apparently, The way I live, which is going to be more like Jesus, that's going to be the overflow of seeing Him. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. So there there is absolutely a connection between who you are and how you live. But watch. My lifestyle doesn't come before my identity. I don't live a certain way to become something. I live a certain way, whoop, because I am a child of God, my life will change inevitably because my nature and my heart has changed. Do you see it? Talking about sonship, talking about what it means to be children of God. Galatians 3.29, it says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs, according to promise. How much should I unpack, Lord, For the rest of your life, I don't know why I'm getting emotional here. For the rest of your life, this is, for the rest of your eternity, this is who you are. What I just highlighted. You are his. And... better not cry. This is what you and I are destined and made to be. Is his. Ah, why am I crying? It's not about having a certain degree of holiness um, or obedience to become something. Our value and Standing with the father. It's all rooted in the fact that yes, you're a child of God, and you could talk about I'm a I'm a daughter or I'm a son. It has more to do with who claims you as his own. So to be an heir or to be a child according to the promise given to Abraham, it means you belong to Jesus. You're his. This is John 6. He says, anyone who's in my hand, I won't lose any of them. And I know that some of you deeply struggle with this. That's probably why I'm getting emotional, because I've been where you are. And I really need you to know (laughs) that for the rest of your life, of course, your lifestyle matters in terms of matching that up with Jesus and living more like who he is. But you can only do that confidently and purely when you know who you belong to. In other words, living holy and living in obedience to God is the result of knowing who you belong to. And so the rest of your life, you're going to spend knowing who you belong to. So like when I see my father <laughs> clearer, what I'm going to do is see myself clearer too. And I'm gonna know my value in the sight of the Father. (laughs) That's how it works. And then from that place of security and confidence and being loved, even if I'm in suffering and turmoil and tribulation, from that place of being loved by the Father, I can confidently go out and live more like Jesus because I'm not trying to earn anything, I'm not trying to gain something I don't already have in Christ. I already belong to him, and that's the substance of my inheritance. That's the greatest treasure, is that you belong to him, is that you have God as your father, and he claims you as his own, and he brings you into his family, and he wraps you around you know, with his arms to anthropomorphize God, and he says, you are mine. And from that place of being his, you live differently. And too many people who are truly children of God are, tr- are doing it backwards. You're living a certain way to become his or to be secure that you're his and, and to maintain your status. And I'm telling you, you don't. You are his because of the fact that Jesus is the substance of every promise given to the patriarchs. Every promise God made to Abraham, to Jacob, to Noah, to all the way back to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. Every promise in Scripture, Jesus goes, I'm the answer. I'm the one who fulfills that. I'm the substance of that. Every promise was pointing to me. So Jesus, like what Paul says, or whoever says it in the New Testament, every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus. Let it be. And so it is, because he is. And so if he is the fulfillment of every promise given, and I'm in him, then every promise given to every saint and every patriarch becomes true of us in Christ. At least the promises relating to future inheritance and future glory and a future name. Because he is the answer. He's the promise we've been waiting for. So you have to learn how to see your identity like John the Apostle does. Where in his writings, in John's gospel, right, he'll say, you know what? I am the one. (laughs) Well, you won't even say I am the one, but you know it's him. He'll go, the one loved by Jesus or the one whom Jesus loves. John has come to a profound place in his relationship with God, Where his identity, his value, his standing, his self-worth is all determined by one thing. He loves me. That's his identity. When he looks in the mirror... He doesn't see his successes. He doesn't see his failures. He doesn't see all the things he's done for God or the things he's failed to do for God. He doesn't see his wisdom or his gifts or his role as an apostle. He sees someone who is loved by the creator of the universe, by the king of glory, the one who dwells in unapproachable light where angels cry, holy, 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 that God loves me. That's how he sees himself. And that's who we are. The problem is, you're gonna. We spend so much time and effort on this treadmill of life, trying to get self worth, and occupation, and job, and and marry me, and like me, and approve of me, and follow me, and subscribe to me, and comment, and let me know I'm valuable. And we're ignoring the only thing that can give you identity and value: the love of God. He's already spoken. He's already declared he loves you through His Son. And then he brings you in and he goes, I love you. I approve of you. Now go and live like my child. Not to gain anything, but because you have everything. So we are loved by the Father. That's what it means to be a child. Fundamentally, the core the core of what it means to be a child of God is that I'm loved by him. It's not necessarily only about inheritance it's not just about having his name and bearing his name in the earth it's not it's about he loves me and when you live from that place of security and that place of having the approval of the only one whose opinion matters let's face it no one else is going to let you into the kingdom of heaven no one else is going to be there at the end of your life to judge you it's God alone And if his opinion about you and his verdict is that I love you and you are mine, you can go and live from that place. And if you think sin and a lifestyle of abusing grace will overflow from that realization, you're in delusion. Being secure in Christ will promote holiness and obedience, not abuse of his grace. Not disobedience. Not a life in the darkness. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 3 verse 6. It says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. So you talk Jewish nation, sure. But it's extended to us pagan Gentiles too. (laughs) This is what Jesus talks about in John chapter 10. That he's going to bring sheep that are not of his fold yet, and he's going to bring them in. And it's not like, I mean, it's the parable of the the, uh, the the manager who goes out and looks for laborers. He's looking for laborers to work in his field or his vineyard. And he finds some people early in the morning who work really long, and he promises them a certain amount that they'll earn. And then he finds certain people at the end of the day, when the sun's already going down and they only work like, what, an hour? And they get the same amount that the people who worked all day get. It's supposed to show you Jewish people and Gentiles. Gentiles are late to the party, man. We don't have this history with, 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 with the God of Israel like, like Israel does. But we're grafted in as if we do we're fellow heirs, we're members of the same body, we're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what does it mean to be a child of God? All of those things, you inherit everything Jesus has as if you've been a part of the family the whole time. It's not even like he treats you differently, like you haven't been here that long, man. He brings you in like you've been there the whole time. The Father loves you and and values you and approves of you like you've been there the whole time. You're members of the same body. You're now grafted into this beautiful living organism called the church and the body of Christ. Meaning your sonship actually means that you have a role in the body. Your role matters. It does. Your gifts matter. Your abilities God has given you matters. Don't downplay and minimize what you have because you're so focused on what you don't have and don't look at what someone else has better than you. Look at what God has given you. Look at the role you play. Look at what God's called you to do. Being an heir includes playing a role in the body of Christ to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. And you're partakers of the promise. Remember I said every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus you and I become participants, uh, beneficiaries of every promise that Jesus fulfills, which is every promise, through our faith in the gospel. So that's the bulk of this message, is being a child of God means all that. But remember, you have all these other elements involved too. So we've only touched on being an heir. Heir being a child. Remember, he's the firstborn. You and I are grafted into the firstborn. Like Hebrews talks about, he's the firstborn among many brothers to bring many brothers to glory. It's as if we are all firstborns alongside of him. Not in terms of us having supremacy and and preeminence with him. It means firstborn refers to status in a family. It refers to inheritance. And you and I, With Jesus, as you might say, our elder brother, we inherit not just everything he has and gives, but his very status. And so what that includes is that we're also, you're gonna see all these different things. Everything I'm about to show you flows from being a child of God, being an heir, resurrecting, being the priesthood that we are, reigning with Christ, as co-rulers with him in the new creation, like Adam and Eve, we're called to essentially be kings and queens in the earth, reigning under the authority of the Father. We're actually grafted into, and we bear the name of the Lord God, his character, his reputation. We're glorified with Jesus, and we victoriously conquer every enemy with Jesus. And I'll show you what I mean, okay? Okay. But know this, I had to spend quite a a long time showing you what it means to be a child of God so that you understand how everything else fits neatly into that. Because the identity of Christ as the firstborn, as the only begotten son, it translates over to us, not just in airship, But all the different elements that surround him being the only begotten son, resurrection, his high priesthood, him being the supreme king of the universe, um, his supreme name that saves, his glorification, his victory over the enemies of of God and humanity, he he extends that to us. So Romans 8.23, it says, if you go on from that passage about sonship we, we were looking at earlier, that we're children of God and heirs, there's glory that's going to be revealed to us. This is what First John was touching on. The glory that's coming. That the world mocks us now and goes, you're following your sky daddy and your fairy and good luck when we all cease to exist. They won't be saying that when they see the children of God in their full glory in the kingdom of their father. Okay, verse 23, it says, we groan, creation groans, and not only the creation, we ourselves are groaning for that, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons. Now pause. We've already looked at several passages that tell us we have been adopted. We are children of God. We are sons and daughters. So why are we waiting for adoption? This is the difference between... um, David being anointed as king and David actually ascending the throne. David's coronation is different than his anointing. So he was anointed in private. He was the true and rightful king. But the fake king of Israel at the time, who was fading, right, was slowly going to be moved out of the way so that David could be revealed and crowned the king. That's the difference here is we are anointed children of God, we have this status and this identity, but when we are glorified, or what he calls the redemption of our bodies, when we're resurrected from the dead to new glorified spiritual bodies, that will be the full manifestation or realization of our adoption so that everyone else gets to see, because you and I know we're children of God. God testifies, his son testifies, his spirit testifies, we testify, our life is witness. But the rest of the world looking on, the unbelieving world, the enemies of God, they don't see the full realization of that. And one day that will happen. That's what's called the resurrection. Okay? The other part of us being resurrected is that Jesus was technically, I want you to think through this, heaven and earth will pass away. This is what Jesus says Heaven and earth will pass away. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's called new creation, and we're waiting for that. Jesus technically is the first resurrected human being to never die again, okay? In his glorified, you know, resurrected form. Technically, that makes him the first of the new creation that's coming. So just as the Word in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, the Word of God initiated the world to come into form and, and structure and all that stuff, we see new creation also built on the Word. He ushers in new creation, but He's the first. Meaning His coming up from the dead is the first of the new world that's coming. This is why Paul can say, We, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's part of what it means to be resurrected. Is that technically right now, if you're in Christ, your spirit has been raised from the dead. You've been resurrected spiritually, inwardly. But the resurrection of the body has not happened. That's why first God starts with the inner man or the inner woman, your spiritual self. And then after that, the body will follow, okay? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's true right now, is that just like Jesus was, you know, new humanity, he actually makes us new humanity too, okay? We become new humanity in the Son. This is really cool when you see it. We become new humanity in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 actually speaks on this, uh, and a lot of people will take this to mean you know, every human being, every image bearer that has ever lived is God's workmanship. Now, I agree that God created them, that they originate in God as their source, but this is specifically talking about new, cre- new humanity, the, the family of God, Jew and Gentile who are in Christ through faith. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So remember how I said your lifestyle is a necessary part of what it, of being a child of God, is you can't exclude the lifestyle, but your identity does not hang on your lifestyle. Does it make sense? This is why I'm going to say over and over, life, your identity and your status comes before a change in life. We live in a culture, a church culture at least, where Christians are expecting people to change the way they live before they can change in the sight of God. And it's actually quite the opposite, biblically. God changes us inwardly so that our lives change as a result. So we're His workmanship. Our, our new identity, our new created selves resurrected from the dead spiritually are, are God's workmanship. He formed and potter, pottered us after the image of His Son, okay? That's why Jesus is the image, not an image. Like we're made in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. He's the image that we're fashioned after. Colossians chapter three, verse 10. um, It says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Because remember I talked about how uh, we are new creation. We are new humanity. We are the family of God, sons and daughters, right? But do we always live like that? No. Am I supposed to every day more and more match up my life with my identity? Yeah. I'm supposed to live more like Jesus, which is to live more like who I really am. The truest version of yourself is who God says you are. And we don't always live like that. So that's why Paul says, hey, put off your old self, right? you have put it off with its practices, but also that new self that you choose to put on daily, put on Christ, put on the armor of God, which, you know, the armor of God, different characteristics of Jesus. When you put on the new self daily, and you're saying, I'm going to live like Jesus today. I'm going to talk like Christ. I'm going to desire and have ambitions and goals and interact with people that are like Christ. You're choosing to put on the new self, which by the way, That new self, which has been created in Christ Jesus, it's being renewed day after day after the image of its creator. This is why Paul can say, you know, outwardly our bodies are wasting away. And I feel that with this stupid fire ant bites on my foot. But inwardly, we're being transformed and renewed. In other words, one of the things that will inevitably follow children of God is that they will be renewed in knowledge to some degree meaning y- you can't have someone who is a believer um, who lives on the the who lives long enough you know say live 30 40 years and they never see any renewal in their mind in their desires in their heart in their life in their mouth in their, to say that you can be a believer and see no transformation ever see no sanctification ever is that that completely contradicts this passage we have put on the new self and that new self though it is who you are truly we don't always live like that so to be renewed daily is to live more like who god says i am um We can go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 and 15 to talk about this new self, this new created life. It says, Jesus himself is our peace, right here, who has made us both one and he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, this comes right after, he says, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, well, whatever's being created in Jesus is this new humanity in place of Jew and Gentile, which is part of how Jesus makes peace. Right? The last text I want to bring you to is Galatians 6.15. It says neither circumcision counts for anything spiritually, like in the sight of God, nor uncircumcision. Right? Romans chapter one we'll talk about or Romans chapter two We'll talk about those who are spiritually circumcised, but a new creation. You know what matters to God? Being a new creation. Can you just recreate yourself because you desire to be recreated? No. What you can do, though, is trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and God makes you new. He creates you brand new. He resurrects your spirit from the dead by connecting you to himself. He's the source of life. Now your spirit can come alive. Now you can be a new creation up from the dead in Christ, a brand new humanity, because God makes you that. That's part of what it means to be a child of God, okay? The other aspect, remember, is that this whole picture of Jesus as the only begotten son, as the firstborn priesthood is a part of it, okay, priesthood is a part of it, so let me take you to Revelation chapter 1 verse 6, or 1 Peter 1 9, 2 9, let's go to 1 Peter 2 9, remember I said every specific dimension of Jesus being the only begotten son, it actually affects us, so this is Peter speaking to those who have actually trusted in the Messiah, he says, you are a chosen race, To be new humanity, new creation, the family of God, it's an entirely different race. It's not the human race anymore the way we know of humanity. It's not animals. It's not, you know, fish or birds. It's a completely different race. So you're children of God. Part of that means you're a royal priesthood. How can we be a royal priesthood? The priesthood is reserved for the Levites. And the high priesthood is reserved for those who descend from Aaron. So how could we possibly be the priesthood? Well, if you read Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus is a priesthood, or is, a, is the perfect eternal high priest of the new covenant we have. He's our high priest forever, uh, after the order of Melchizedek, on the basis of his resurrection, so that now anyone who takes refuge in him actually gets to partake in His priesthood. We're not mediating a covenant with Him. We're not upholding our end of the new covenant with Him. Uh, We're not sitting there with our blood, bringing that as if we're the high priest. No, no, no. He's the only exclusive high priest. But we still, as priests do, we get to serve in the presence of God. That's what priests would typically do. That's what they functioned as. They would serve on behalf of the people to the Father. It was in the direction of the Father on behalf of the nation. Now we are this, whole, this new holy nation. We are a people for His own possession to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Part of that means we are now a royal priesthood. So the duties of the priest to tend to the things of God, to have close proximity to God, right? Um, on behalf of the people, we, we get to partake in that as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. But he's our, he's our high priest. We're just the priesthood that follows in his footsteps um, to, you might say, tend to the, the things of God in the earth. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 also kind of expands on this idea. To him who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood, sounds like Jesus, he made us a kingdom. Hmm. He made us a kingdom? I thought we're part of his kingdom. The kingdom primarily is composed of citizens. You don't have a kingdom without citizens. What really makes something a kingdom is the fact that there are people. The people are the substance of the kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. Hmm. So what does it mean that we're a kingdom? Part of it means that we are priests to the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that's, let's just, so far, let's just look at what we've worked through, okay? So far, we've looked at the fact that we are the firstborn, or in Christ, who is the true firstborn. We get his firstborn status in a family, his rank as heir, right? As children of God, we get that. We get to be resurrected with him, we get that. He's the perfect high priest, mediating a new covenant. We get to be a priesthood now. Let's look at the fact that he's the king and he's the supreme name, and how that actually impacts us. You'll be surprised. Okay. So we looked at new creation. We looked at the new priesthood. Let me take you to Second Timothy chapter two. I'll just show you one verse because we got got to get out of here. Can't stay here forever. Uh, In the in the rest of the series, depending on where I take it, where the Lord leads me. Uh, I'll expand on this, okay? 2 Timothy 2, it says, This saying is trustworthy. If we've died with him, we will also live with him, right? Spiritually, or when it comes to us dying to our old self, we've died with Christ on the cross. If we endure, we will also reign with him. We're called co-rulers, uh, we reign with Christ in the new earth. We're actually going to judge angels, which is the next passage I'll get to. But we we are going to reign with Christ. If we deny him, he denies us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. I've talked about this before. I don't need to get into the whole conversation of, see, you can lose your salvation, brother. That's not what it's saying. But I do want to focus in on this, the reigning aspect. Because Jesus is the rightful reign, uh, king of the entire universe. So think about Adam and Eve, they were appointed to rule the earth as God's rulers, ambassadors under his authority, they were called to cultivate and expand, right, Um, and reign as those who represented God in the earth. God gave the earth to humanity to steward and reign over. Well, we forfeited that in Genesis chapter 3. Bummer. Now sin plagues humanity as the spiritual sickness that we can do nothing about, except Jesus comes as the rightful king. He conquers our sin, pays our debt, dies our death, goes into the grave, comes up three days later, breaks out of death, right, so that we now can reign with him. So in other words, him being the king allows us to assume the role that Adam and Eve uh, forfeited and were originally created to have But I'll tell you, what Adam and Eve fell from, that place, Jesus doesn't restore us to that station. He actually restores us to a higher position, okay? 1 Corinthians 6 verse 3 tells us, and this is crazy, but this is the truth. Remember, part of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, what it means for him to be the only begotten son, the exclusive firstborn, is that he's above angels, Now, we as humanity, we're actually made, you know, lower than the angels. But one day, 1 Corinthians 6, 3 tells us, do you not know that we are going to judge angels? Now, this is not just the general sense of the Greek word messenger, someone sent with a message. This is actually spiritual beings, whether they're, you know, fallen, whether they're good, spiritual beings in general as messengers of God uh, we, we are going to judge and have some degree of authority or rule over whatever God does with that. How much more than things pertaining to this life? So remember, part of Jesus being who he is, is that he's above angels. So if we're seated with him in heavenly places, and we're stationed, you know, where, where he is seated, and we're in him, then with him, we're above the angels, Since he's the first of resurrected humanity and he extends that status to us, we are with him in that, okay? Which is crazy. We're going to rule and judge uh, angels one day. In other words, for now, we're beneath the angels. One day we'll actually be over them because we're in Christ. Not on our own, but because we're in Christ. The other element of Jesus being the only begotten is that he's conquered all the enemies of God and all the enemies of humanity. Sin Death, the devil, the kingdom of darkness, he's triumphed over it all. Now think about how we are in Christ. Part of what it means to be children of God in Jesus, the true firstborn, is that we get to conquer with him. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Hasatan. So who's crushing Satan here? It seems to be God, right? How does God do that though? Under Satan. Your feet. And Paul is talking to the church. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So this is all a gift of his what? His grace. In other words, God says, Hey, my son has conquered all the enemies of of me and humanity. And one day, when all the enemies are made a footstool for Jesus, part of that looks like God crushing Satan under our feet. It's a gift of his grace. So what Jesus conquers, he actually has given you victory over too. The authority and victory of Jesus, the triumph of Jesus at the cross over the spiritual kingdom of darkness, you and I also have that. So that now in the earth, not just one day finally, but now currently, God is triumphing over darkness by his son's life, death, and resurrection, but through the church, through the grace he enables them to have. And then the last thing is this. Part of being children of God, we already looked at, you know, um, you know, hey, let's do this real quick. Because I have to pee so bad, it's going to take me a while to hobble back up to this chair, and I have no one to care for me. I'm all alone here. I'm going to cut to commercial and then I'm going to go potty. All right? So let's do it. If you've not already done this, go to AboveReproachMinistry.com. We have a bunch of free resources that are made available to anyone around the world. Completely free and accessible to anyone who wants to learn how to read the Bible we have free online Bible study courses that will teach you how to read the Bible we have free study devotionals that walk you through specific patterns and keywords in the book of Ephesians we have free Bible study worksheets we have Bible study workshops we have all this free content because of generous supporters like you guys and if you want to support this ministry we're teaching people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves and there are a bunch of ways to donate you can go to aboveapproachministry.com slash donate you can give through debit or credit Card, you can send a check to Peelbox Box 338, uh, Green Cove Springs. You can give through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo. Patreon. And then you can also get some church merch. If you've not already grabbed some church merch, I would recommend you do that so you can represent Jesus on your body. And all the proceeds go right back into this content so that we can reach more people and equip people to, you know, live and teach the Bible themselves. And if you didn't know this, I actually have a book. I've published a book. It's called Fruitful. And the point of this book is to be a resource to the church to teach people um, the essential keys for the most abundant Christian life this side of heaven. And so in this book, What I do is I I outline the gospel absolutely clearly (laughs) so you can actually know what the foundational truth is. And then from there, we discover what our purpose is, what our process is, and what our position is now in Christ. So if you are a new believer or if you're a believer that really wants to understand what I believe are the essential key truths that a lot of people don't understand in the church— I would grab a copy. And if you haven't already joined our online church, get in that online church. We have a lot of cool stuff happening, events every single day pretty much. Uh, we're in there praying and fellowshipping and gathering and growing together as a community. And the last thing is this. If you haven't already checked out our podcast, uh, we have podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and everywhere else where you can get a podcast. And pretty much all the content on YouTube, the live streams, what we do is we... Um, make that into podcast format so you guys can just listen on the go. So go check that out if you have not already. And let's get back to the video. I was thinking of a song. I don't know who the original artist is, uh, but the song is called Grace Alone. Maybe you've heard of it. And um, the song goes, you've lifted me up so high above my station. Um, I'm a child of God by grace and grace alone. That's, that's the whole point of this message, is that God has brought you and I higher than we could ever climb on our own. <laughs> he's brought us farther than we could ever, ever achieve in a million lifetimes. Um, he's brought us infinitely higher than we deserve, than we're entitled to. Um, we have zero entitlement to what he's done. In fact, he's brought us, think about this, as children of God. He has brought us to the highest point of human existence. Meaning, you can't climb any higher than to be a part of the family of God, inheriting all that the Son has, reigning a new creation. You, can't, you couldn't climb higher in a million lifetimes. He's, by His grace, it's a gift. He's brought us to the highest point a human could ever get to. And we didn't climb. He picked us up and brought us. That's what's crazy. And so, back to this whole being children of God, we're told to, this is kind of as we transition to the lifestyle, we're called to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Okay, this is something that is... People that, uh, what am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? This gets confused a lot. Um. People don't talk about lifestyle enough or they don't talk about identity enough. And so I'm trying to like walk this tightrope of not overemphasizing the lifestyle as if to make you the product of your life. But I'm also trying not to minimize the lifestyle to make you think, ah, since I'm a child of God, I can live however I want. No, look, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. Put on the new self. So, you know, Galatians chapter uh S- three, it says we have put on the new self. And yet Ephesians four is telling you, no, put it on. Here again is the difference between position and lifestyle, right? You have put on the new self, this new humanity, this new identity, but now go and put on the new self. Live like it's true. Live out that new identity. Conform your life to the image of Jesus. Now, look at the description of this new self. It's created, which we saw in Ephesians chapter 2. It's created in Christ Jesus. It's created, it's created, it's created after the likeness of God. What does that mean? Well, in true righteousness and holiness. Why do you think you and I can be declared righteous, to have right standing or right relationship, and holy? to be without blemish, to be set apart, to be uniquely different, spiritually and morally. Why is it that we can be called righteous and holy? Because our new self that we have in Christ is created after the likeness of God, who is perfect righteousness, who is perfect holiness. In other words, the raw material or the ingredients for our new identity is the very righteousness and holiness of God himself. <laughs> That's the best way I can explain it. If God's like, you know, what keeps coming to mind for me is the Powerpuff Girls uh, introduction where Professor whatever his name, mixing all this stuff in it, oh, just all of a sudden three girls come out, superpowers. The idea is that God is mixing stuff together and part of the ingredients for our new humanity and our new identity, Right? is righteousness and holiness, but not just generic. It's his own. So when Jesus gives himself, and we're now in him, Jesus is righteousness. He is the essence of holiness. He's the source of it. He's the personification of it. So now that we're in him, we get that. For Second Corinthians will go on to say, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Think about that. Think about that. You are, I'm going to take you there actually, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he, being the father, he made him, being the son, to be sin. Romans chapter 8, human evil takes up residency in the flesh of Jesus, who didn't sin, who knew no sin at all. So that, Right? So that, in other words, this is not fair. What's happening here is not fair, but it's right. And it's God's grace and his love. Jesus, who never sinned, never failed, never made a mistake, met the law of God perfectly, being the word of God himself, he never sins, but he becomes, in his flesh, in his body, human evil is condemned in his flesh. So that, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So you and I are what? Righteous. No more than that. We are the righteousness of God. The very righteousness of God himself in Christ Jesus is what we are. Talk about take your identity and yourself and your value to a new level. And it has nothing to do with what I bring to the table. This is all God assigning value to us graciously and saying, you know what? I'm going to make you my very righteousness. I'm going to make you the holiness of my son. What? 2 Peter 1.4 is another passage. And then I'm going to... Talk a little more about lifestyle, and then we're done. It says, and we already, I think we read this. Maybe not. Um, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Who's Him? Well, Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Sounds like God. By which, right, By his own glory and excellence, he's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that, remember how I said all the promises true of Jesus, he fulfills, he's the substance of it, you become grafted into that and he applies those promises to you so that through those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature doesn't mean you're God, doesn't mean you're deity, there's only one God. What it does mean is that you are grafted into the very communion and fellowship that the Father and the Son have by the Spirit. And I'm not limiting it to that, that's just what we see in Scripture. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now from this place, we know who we are. We know why we are. We know how we are. This is where we get into lifestyle. Watch. This is so important. I've made it abundantly clear that you and I are children of God through faith, by grace alone. Not your efforts, not your obedience, not your holiness, not your doing, not your, none of that. All of that is going to be the result of being children of God, or the fruit, not the root. You know, so being children of God means we're we're going to, we're resurrected spiritually. We're going to be resurrected and glorified eventually, physically. We're gonna we're the new priesthood in Christ. Uh, we're going to reign with Him in the new creation. We're heirs with Him as children, right? We actually bear His His name. Um, And we carry his name in the earth, his reputation, his character. We've conquered the enemies of God in Christ by the grace of God. That victory applies to us. We're gonna be glorified with the Son. We're holy and righteous. So now that we are children, beloved children, be imitators of God. Notice how it doesn't say be imitators of God to become children. It says Since you are children, therefore, in light of what he just said, being kind and forgiving as Christ, imitate God like that. Here's one example of how we can imitate God. Be kind, tenderhearted, and forgive. The way Jesus forgave you, with no reservation, no conditions, just forgiveness. That's one of the ways we imitate God, as Beloved children. Meaning, if you're a child of God, if you have the very nature of new creation, a new humanity, and the identity of Christ, and you're holy and righteous, then it's reasonable, it's fitting, it's appropriate, and it's inevitable that you're going to imitate God in some capacity if he's your father. He's given you a new heart, he's given you a new spirit, He's given you a new nature and a new identity. Now go and walk in a new life, which will be the fruit of what he's done in you. Walk in love. And that's the key of, of, of Ephesians chapter 5, is walk in love. How do you walk in love if you don't know, know love? I think in order for us to love people well, we need to know love. First John will tell us who love is. Philippians 2.14 Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Some people read this as Hey, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may become children of God. Notice the description and notice what follows. That can't be what it's saying. So that you may be blameless and innocent, right? In your conduct, without blemish, meaning no one can accuse you and point out, hey, you're failing, hey, there's darkness in your life, hey. But so that you would live as blameless, innocent, without blemish, children of God and this is the key he's calling believers to shine in the darkness you can't shine if you're not the light so he's not telling them to become the light they already are the light in Christ Jesus we have the light of Christ in our life now go and shine that how well by living holy and blameless and without blemish by being that to people right And that includes not grumbling or disputing. That's what children of God should be doing. Children of God are made to shine. If God is going to light you up, He expects you to shine. Part of that looks like, in the most simple way we can break down, not complaining or disputing or grumbling. And I know that's not as spiritual as you want it to be, this is what the Lord desires. He's not saying, do something to become. He's saying, since you are children of God, be that to the world. Be blameless and innocent. I thought we are blameless and innocent. I thought we are without blemish in the sight of God. This is not talking about status and identity. This is talking about your way of life. Children of God. In other words, I'll say it like this. You're made for gratitude and thankfulness and rejoicing you are not made for grumbling or disputing. It's not fitting. It's not appropriate for your new life and your new identity. First John 2, it says, little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know he's righteous, you may be sure everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him not will be born of him, has been. So righteous living, imitating Jesus who is righteous as beloved children is compatible, reasonable, and fitting for people who have been born of him. In other words, being born of Jesus here means being a child of God. If you're really children of God, throughout your life, you'll see evidence of his righteousness in you coming out through your life. Practicing righteousness. And again, this is not doing or striving to become something. This is, I know who I am. I have faith in Jesus. Now I'm just going to spend the rest of my earthly life matching up my lifestyle with who he says I am. Living more like Jesus. Conforming my life to the image of Christ. 1 John 2, 3, 10, it says, By this it is evident who are the children of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. In other words, there's a way to distinguish clearly who's a child of God and who's a child of the devil. Everyone's a child of someone. You got to understand that. Everyone is, is walking in the nature of their father either God is your father or the devil is your father and you're walking in one of their ways. So here's how we know and we can clearly see who's a child of God from who's a child of the devil. Whoever doesn't practice righteousness is not of God. Someone who never practices the righteousness of God can't belong to him. Nor is the one who doesn't love his brother. So loving brother here is what it means to practice righteousness specifically. All righteousness God calls us to is going to fall under the category of loving God and people. So you can say, every time I choose to live righteous, I'm choosing to love God and love people made in His image. If someone never does that, there's no way they're a child of God. It's not possible. Do you see it? Love and righteousness Are not just fitting for new creation like us. It's not just appropriate for children of God. It's not just reasonable in light of God's mercy. It's actually inevitable. It's going to happen. Love and righteousness will overflow into the lives of God's children. It's going to happen. No need to break out a measuring stick and see how much and have a standard that God doesn't hold us to. Just there will be righteousness to some degree, and love for people. First John 5, 2, and then we're done. It says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love Him and obey His commandments. This is God's love. Love of God is that we keep His commandments. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So do you see all the different ideas coming together? Being a child of God means having victory, overcoming, being born of God, loving. Specifically, here in this context, it's the children of God, those who also have faith in the Messiah, which means obeying the commandments of God. So, if you think having this new identity and this new status is an excuse to live in darkness and an excuse to live in sin, you fundamentally misunderstand what it means to follow Jesus and be a believer. And the worst case scenario is you might not believe the gospel. You might not know what the gospel is. You might not truly be in Christ. Now that's not true all across the board, but some of you might be in that position. And so I'm just calling you to really evaluate what you believe about the Messiah, what you believe the gospel is, what it means to trust and put your life in the hands of Jesus, and say, you're the only one I got, you're my righteousness, you're my salvation, so, that's what it means to be a child of God, and I'll be honest, I don't know where we're going the next episode, no idea, I don't know what the Lord has, um, I will definitely seek, I would love prayer for that, want to see me really scrawny in my, nah, we'll do that after, um, But I really hope that you guys understand today a little more what it means to be children of God. Again, being at the core is going to affect living in our everyday way of life. That's why God changes who we are so that we end up changing how we live. If you guys didn't know, this is an online ministry, AboveApproachMinistry.com. All the links are in the description below. If you're on Facebook, if you're on YouTube, If you're on TikTok, you can go to my profile. All the links are on my link tree. Go to abovereproachministry.com. You can get a bunch of free resources. We just released last week um, a free 40-day Bible study program for anyone who wants to learn how to read the Bible. We have an 11-day, and it's all free. It's all free because of generous supporters like you guys. You'll have to sign up to actually partake. But there's a 27-day Bible study course, 11-day, a 40-day. For those of you that really want to learn how to read the Bible, we have keyword studies, we have question studies, uh, we have free devotionals, we have free Bible study worksheets, um, we have free you know, walkthroughs all online on YouTube, all my sermon notes are available, so if you're like, I want to actually evaluate all the sermon notes you use, well all my series, all the series I've done on, on YouTube are here. Um, you can join our online church community if you have not already, we have a Discord server, where you can, you know, partake and be a part of the community and fellowship. Um, You can get some merch, you can get a copy of my book, Fruitful, which will teach you how to live the most abundant, satisfying Christian life this side of heaven, through the essential keys that come through identity, position, uh, purpose, and process. Um, And then you can also donate to this ministry if you've, you know, if you've benefited and and you find value in what we're doing here. We're just trying to teach people how to live, the, read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves. And if you think that's an admirable mission, we're equipping the saints, reaching the lost, advancing the kingdom. Um, if you think that's admirable, you can give, and it funds everything that we do completely free. All the courses, all the worksheets, all the community, all the voice chats, all of that um, in the online church community because of solid leaders who have de- you know donated their time and their efforts to building community here. It's all possible. Now, I have a wife and two kids. This is all possible because of God supporting what we're doing through people like you. And you can give right here through debit or credit card. You can send a check to Peelbox Box 338 Green Cove Springs. Um, you can give through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, Patreon, get church merch. We have every different way you can think of. But the, the two more important things are join the online church community if you have not, um, and get started on our on our Bible study courses, if you want to take your skills to a new level and really learn how to read the Bible better, um, this will be the thing for you. Uh, it's self-paced; you can go at whatever pace you're comfortable with. On our Discord server, we also have a specific community, um, a private chat group within the Discord server for anyone who's going through the Bible study program. So, if you want to engage with other believers, go at the pace they're going, ask questions, share your homework, share what you've you've learned, your insights. Whatever it is, that's also on the Discord server and you can join. All right, I think that's all I have for you guys today. Pray that this, my foot is so swollen, man. Sometimes I feel like I could just stab it with a knife and it would just gush out whatever fluid is in there. I know that's what you wanted to hear today, so I thought I'd share it. Uh, But just pray that God would heal it because I still want to be off my feet for this long. I have stuff to do, you know. But God calls us to rest, so we need to learn how to just receive that. So I'll see you guys later. Um, and then next Monday, we'll continue episode three in this series on children of God. And then Wednesday, which is tomorrow, we're going to have a Q&A. So if you want to join for a Q&A, uh, share your questions, thoughts, uh, whether it's about this specific topic or just about Christianity and faith and the Bible, Jesus, whatever it is. Um, I hope that um, you guys will join tomorrow. Bring your questions, all right? I'll see you guys later. In about 10 minutes, they're going to have their we're going to have our, because I'll actually be there on our Discord server. We're going to have our time of fellowship and um, and uh, prayer and just getting together, all right? So I'll see you guys Wednesday, which is tomorrow, 10 a.m.